just recently, the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine and the Society for Obstetric Anesthesia and Perinatology, otherwise known as SOAP, released labor guidelines for patients under investigation of COVID-19 or confirm COVID-19 infection. Is amniotomy safe? And are masks necessary during the second stage? We'll answer these questions and many more in this session. This podcast will focus on management schemes in labor and delivery that we otherwise take for granted, like magnesium for fetal neuroprotection or for preeclampsia. Well, does magnesium use change in a suspected or confirmed COVID-19 case? The benefits of magnesium sulfate for fetal neuroprotection or for eclampsia prevention should be weighed against potential risks of maternal respiratory depression. Now, the SMFM does have a specific caveat, does make a specific statement regarding mag sulfate for seizure prophylaxis. It states that in general, for women without severe features, avoidance of magnesium sulfate seems prudent in this situation. Now, what situation are we talking about? We're talking about patients under investigation or who have confirmed COVID-19. So if you have a patient that's suspicious for COVID-19 or is confirmed and you're worried about preeclampsia, according to SMFM, you do not have to give magnesium sulfate for seizure prophylaxis unless they have severe features. And again, that's in order to prevent any potential pulmonary decompensation. A chief consideration, of course, is the maternal baseline respiratory status, particularly MAG for fetal neuroprotection. As per routine clinical practice, normal renal function should be assumed before initiating magnesium therapy, and for those with renal dysfunction, dosage and fluid administration should be adjusted, but that's the same for any patient. A single 4-gram bolus dose of mag sulfate may serve as the alternative to usual dosing of 6 grams in the setting of mild respiratory distress. So again, you may want to think about lowering the dose of mag sulfate either for neuroprotection or for eclampsia prevention. For women with increasing oxygen requirements, the risk-to-benefit ratio should be considered before using magnesium for fetal neuroprotection, but it still may be justified for eclampsia prevention. Another protocol that has been brought into question is antenatal corticosteroids. Prolonged exposure to high-dose steroids has been associated with worsening SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 outcomes in the general population. Now, how this applies to antenatal corticosteroids is unknown, although it's important to recognize, of course, that antenatal corticosteroid exposure is not prolonged. Therefore, in general, the SMFM does recommend antenatal corticosteroids for the usual fetal lung maturity. However, because there are some questions regarding the use of steroids and COVID-19 outcomes, the SMFM states that practices should consider adjusting or modifying typical use. For example, the ALPS trial recommended antepartum corticosteroids until 36 weeks and 6 days. But if the patient is after 34 weeks, perhaps steroids may not be given in a patient of interest or a confirmed COVID-19 case to avoid any potential conflict with the disease process. 
Additionally, certain situations allowed or called for a single rescue course of steroids as long as the first course was given at least seven days before and typically was utilized when the first course of steroids was given very early on in gestational age. But in patients of interest or with confirmed COVID-19, this rescue course of steroids should not be given because there is a potential for worsening condition with COVID-19. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Internal monitors like a fetal scalp electrode or an IUPC may be necessary modalities to optimize fetal monitoring. Although data are limited, they so far do not suggest maternal to fetal transmission of SARS-CoV-2. Decision-making about internal monitors will evolve as more data becomes available. The same thing applies to amniotomy. Given the reassuring but limited data to date pertaining to maternal to child transmission, amniotomy may still be utilized for labor management as clinically indicated, and here's the caveat, until new data shows otherwise. What about operative vaginal deliveries? Well, the data on perinatal transmission available to date do not preclude the use of forceps or vacuum. Given the challenges associated with rapid patient transfer to the OR, consideration should be given to performing these procedures, particularly non-outlet deliveries, in the operating room, balancing existing workflow in other sites alongside the OR availability. Now, here's what that means. If you think there's a chance that the outlet vacuum or forcep will fail in order to prevent loss of time going to the OR, they should likely be done as a double setup. Same thing applies, again, for epidural anesthesia for labor. This should be considered to mitigate risks associated with general anesthesia in the setting of an unplanned urgent cesarean section. The use of supplemental maternal oxygen for fetal decelerations is controversial and actually, according to some data, may be harmful for the fetus because it can potentially generate free radical formation. So the use of oxygen for fetal indications, remember we're talking about fetal only, D-cells, not maternal, is controversial, especially since the fetal hemoglobin dissociation curve is to the left of maternal oxygen desaturation as the use of high-flow nasal cannula or face mask is considered an aerosol procedure, the routine use of nasal cannula or face mask oxygen, especially in people under investigation of COVID-19 or confirmed COVID-19, should be suspended. So let's say that again. High-flow oxygen just for fetal D-cells or even high-flow nasal cannula is an aerosol procedure. So the use of oxygen for fetal indication is suspended in any patient under investigation or confirmed COVID-19 case. And in general, we should probably stop using maternal oxygen for fetal D-cells anyway. Now remember, we're talking about fetal indications only. If the mother is clearly hypoxic, then the use of oxygen is obviously necessary. Now let's get to the second stage of labor because there seems to be a lack of agreement between the CDC and the SMFM and ACOG. 
The Centers for Disease Control does not categorize a vaginal delivery as an aerosol procedure, and droplet and contact precautions are deemed adequate by the CDC. They also state that surgical drapes could be used as an additional physical respiratory droplet barrier during the second stage of labor and delivery. All providers should check with their own institution's infection prevention guidelines regarding policies and procedures for reusing N95 masks and face shields. Now, specifically regarding this issue of second stage of labor, given several unique variables to childbirth, including the length of patient contact, repeated and prolonged exhalations, and often substantial exposure to body fluids, the SMFM believes it's reasonable to consider N95 mask use for all healthcare workers caring for patients with suspected or confirmed COVID-19 during the second stage of labor, including specifically healthcare workers with significant and prolonged exposure to these patients. As with all resource considerations and potential supply and demand imbalances, the ability to adhere to this suggestion will need to be evaluated on an individual institutional level. But it's acknowledged that this suggestion is above and beyond the current CDC recommendation. Again, the SMFM believes it's a good idea to use an N95 mask for anybody in the room during the second stage of labor in addition to the usual droplet precautions. Now, as we get to the end of the podcast regarding cesarean delivery, that is considered a potential aerosolizing procedure. N95 masks should be used in any room, labor and delivery, or the OR whenever an aerosolizing procedure is being performed or likely to be performed on a patient with suspected or confirmed COVID-19. Examples in the OB environment include cesarean deliveries or women brought to the OR for management of postpartum hemorrhage or, of course, any time that intubation is planned or anticipated. All right, podcast family, it is no doubt strange times, and I hope that we get through this thing quickly. So make sure to follow this podcast because we put out information very quickly, almost as fast as it comes out in print or through the online sources. So thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.